Well, sometimes we lose sight of this, but uh, we who follow Christ here in the 21st century actually stand on the shoulders of generations of devoted followers of Jesus who've gone before us, right? We need to remember that. Many of them suffered for their faith. Some even died for their faith. Any of you remember the name of the very first Christian martyr? Stephen. Yeah. My parents told me I'm actually named after Stephen in the Bible, in the New Testament, the first Christian martyr. I'm not exactly sure what all they intended to convey by naming me Stephen, but uh, they were probably hoping that their son would live up to his namesake and have the same courage and fortitude that Stephen had, who stayed faithful to God even as stones were pummeling his body. I could only hope that I would have the same kind of bravery and courage in a situation like that. Well, certainly we all owe a huge debt to the brave believers who've gone before us and stood strong for Christ when it was costly to do so. Back in the first century, Peter wrote a letter to some such people who found themselves in that situation. They were being persecuted. And he writes his letter encouraging them to remember their calling, remember God's calling in their life, and challenging them to stay faithful to Christ in the hard times. And you know the letter is called First Peter. And in this series that we've titled Kaleo, we're walking through it verse by verse. And Kaleo means what? Called or calling. And we're being reminded of our calling as 21st century followers of Jesus Christ. Last weekend we discovered that Peter opens his letter by reminding us of our calling to salvation. That glorious plan of God that has past, present, and future aspects to it. God's marvelous salvation plan, and it includes all that's waiting for us on the other side. Some of you got saved last weekend. You got born again last weekend, and the rest of us say, praise God, welcome to the family. We want to encourage you to take that first baby step with Christ in your new life, and that's to be baptized by immersion in water. That's the badge of Christianity that Jesus wants you to wear. And we hope that you'll take that step soon with Christ. Well, today we're looking at what Peter says next to those first century believers. And remember, they did not know what would happen to them next. They didn't know if the next knock on the door meant that their employment was over, meant that they would be imprisoned and separated from their families. Would it mean that they had just enjoyed their last meal on the earth? And they were getting ready to be ushered into the presence of their Creator God. They didn't know. What we're going to see here from Peter that we just read moments ago is a very direct, in-your-face call to holiness. Personal and corporate holiness in the body. You say, you know, where's the compassion? (laughs) These folks were suffering, you know, and, and... Well, the compassion comes later on in this letter. But right now, he's being very direct. And he's basically saying, in your difficult day of persecution, when living in a hostile culture is making it very hard for you, make sure of this, that you are accurately reflecting the character of your God to the world around you by living a holy life. And I want to remind all of us today, that our God is holy. This is like theology 101, okay? God is loving. 
thank God, and He's also holy. Psalm 145, 17, God is righteous in all His ways and holy in all of His works. I was reading this week in Isaiah's account of his vision of God in Isaiah 6, where he has this glimpse into heaven and sees this throne and the Almighty God sitting on that throne and around the throne are these seraphim, these burning angels. And they are crying out day and night, what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Some five, six hundred years before Christ ever came. And then I flip forward a few pages to Revelation chapter 4 where John is given a vision into heaven some 2,500 plus years later. And he sees a throne in heaven and creatures and angels surrounding the throne and they are still crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Let me tell you when... That's some serious holiness. When angels for 2,500 years uninterrupted are crying out, Holy is the Lord God. Our God is holy. And church, we need to understand not only have we been called to salvation by God, but we have been called to holiness. In fact, these two callings overlap, don't they? Peter already told us early on that believers have been saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. You cannot separate salvation from holy living. You know, if someone says, oh, I'm saved, I'm born again, I'm on my way to heaven, but they have no intent or desire to live a holy life, no desire to come under Christ's authority and obey Christ, they are sadly mistaken about their salvation. The call to salvation is a call to holiness. The person who wants Jesus as their fire insurance, but not their master, must come to grips with who Jesus really is. You can't divide Jesus up into pieces and take those pieces you want and push the others away. No. Jesus is both Savior and King. He is both. And when He comes into a life, He comes to reign as King Jesus. Peter is clear. We who have been truly saved are called to holy living. He sums it up in verse 15. Just as He who called you is holy, so you be holy in all that you do. So what exactly is holiness? What is it? Good question. Is holiness walking around in your life with a halo suspended over your head? Is that holiness? Is it being locked away in a monastery somewhere, chanting a lot? Is it someone who never watches TV, never goes to movies, never eats chocolate or does anything fun, certainly never thinks about sex, never indulges in any sort of pleasure? Is that holiness? I'm sure we all have our different mental images of what holiness looks like, and many of them are probably inaccurate images. The word holy actually means set apart. To be holy is to be set apart. Set apart from the world, set apart for God. Holy. In the Old Testament, certain people and certain items were set apart for God, for His special purposes. They were made holy. In the New Testament, that same twofold idea is found of being devoted to God and different from the world. 
Devoted and different. That's what holiness is. Devoted to God, different from the world. Called out of the world, set apart for God's special purposes, and then sent back into the world to make a difference. Separated, but not isolated. In the world, but not of the world. Holy. And Peter challenges his readers to holiness. And here in this section we're looking at this morning, he comes at it from four different angles. And it's a recurring theme in this letter. We'll come back to it again and again. But four different approaches here. First, he talks about holiness in our thinking, in our thought life. Verse 13, therefore, prepare your what? Mind. Circle that word. Prepare your minds for action, he writes. Be self-controlled, literally alert, clear, not fuzzy, level-headed. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Adopt an eternal perspective. You see, Peter is basically saying, holiness starts in your mind. We tend to hear that word holiness and think about, you know, our lifestyle. And certainly it needs to show up in our lifestyle, but it begins in the mind, in our thinking. Train your mind, he says, to dwell on godly thoughts, true thoughts. Discipline your thought life. It's very interesting, this first phrase he uses here, prepare your minds for action. Literally, it could be translated, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, in those days, as in modern-day Middle East, people wore long, flowing robes, which made it difficult if you needed to run or you know, engage in strenuous activity. And so... People, when they needed to do that, would hike these robes up and tuck them into their sash or their belt, which would allow freedom of movement. That's what he's saying. Gird up the loins of your mind. Bring, rein in all those loose flowing thoughts. Rein in all those loose flowing thoughts. There's mental work to do. There's battles in the mind that need to be fought, so get mentally prepared. He's saying you need to be in a certain mindset these days. It's like a guy in our small group who's, who likes to study the end times a lot, and he's challenging us in a group. He's saying, group, we need to be in a certain mindset these days. Because from indications and signs of the times, Jesus' return is soon. Prepare your minds for action. I've often wondered how it would feel if at any given moment, say on a weekend, our thoughts could be projected up on these side screens. Wouldn't that be scary? It just so happens that we have some new technology that we're unveiling today that, that can do that amazingly. So, guys, go ahead and uh, rev that thing up, and we'll see what kind of thoughts are floating around the room right now. <laughs> yeah, some of you? Yeah. Oh, yikes. Oh, yeah, that's my wife. Ooh, ouch. All right, you better shut that down now before we get go to meddling here. Just kidding, all of that. It's kind of ironic, though, isn't it? Here in church, where you think we all be mentally focused on God and all that, even our 
thoughts can just go all kinds of different directions. We can get distracted, can't we? Peter says, get holiness starts in the mind. You're going to need to get mentally disciplined. Gather up all those loose flowing thoughts and tuck them in. That's one reason I'm a fan of morning quiet time with God. I know some of you cringe every time I talk about morning quiet time with God. But for me, I need that time in the morning to get my mind attuned to God. To get in the right mindset for the day. To prepare my mind for action as it says. To get ready for the challenges of the day, the possible temptations I'm going to face that day, the decisions I'm going to need to make. I'm also reminded that I have an enemy who's hell-bent on taking me out. Then I need to gird up the loins of my mind and get mentally prepared to take on that day to live for Christ. I know there's some of you who, you're just not morning people. And I would say, well, at least if you could just spend a minute or two in prayer in the morning get mentally prepared. So, Peter says, true holiness begins in the mind with disciplined, clear-headed, holy thoughts. Transformation that lasts goes from the inside out, doesn't it? But let's not make any mistake. It will show up in our lifestyle. That's what he talks about next. Not only holy thinking, but holy living. Verse 14, as obedient children. You say, oh, I'm a high-powered executive. Well, that's okay, but all of us are children of God, right? Called to obedience. As obedient children, do not conform. Don't let the, don't get pressed into the mold. Don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. And so now he's talking about our lifestyle, and some of you are saying, yeah. Now start preaching, preacher! Talk about smoking, rail out against drinking and dance halls and pool hall, you know, that kind of stuff. Let's just see what how Peter does it, all right? He says a couple things, kind of comes at it from two different directions. First, he says, on the negative side of things, don't allow those old evil desires to shape you any longer. Say goodbye to the old lifestyle and keep on saying goodbye to it, the old life. Don't allow those old, evil, selfish desires that used to dominate your life to continue to shape and mold your lifestyle today. You're different now, he's saying. You're different. Jesus has changed you. You're a new creation. You're not the way you used to be, and you're not, you know, just like everybody else around you. You are different. Live that way. And then on the positive side, he says, be holy. Live devoted to God and separated from sin. You know, in the Old Testament, you have these puzzling accounts where the children of Israel are going into the promised land and they're doing battle with the Canaanite peoples and they're driving them out of the promised land so they can inhabit it. You have these puzzling statements where it says, you know, go in and gather up the spoils from war, but God says, they're not all yours. I want some of them are mine. Some of them are mine. They are to be the devoted things. You ever read about that? It's like, what is that all about? And God says, those are to be holy unto the Lord. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to gather up all those items, set fire to them, and watch them be consumed in a blaze. The holy things. I do not think that God's intention for holiness for us is that we get up every morning and have to gut out 
some more holiness. Like, all right, I guess I'll have to grind out some more holiness today and say no to some more fun things. Now, I, I think God's intention for His holy people is that we be lit on fire by God and be consumed in His presence. To where we say, you know what? God is my highest pursuit. My deepest pursuit. He's my greatest pleasure. Everything else pales in comparison to the joy that my God brings me. I think that's at the core and essence of holiness. Holy living. Be holy, he says. Be consumed. With God. I don't know if Peter expected some pushback in this call to holy living, but he goes on, he lays out this elaborate, overwhelming case for believers living a holy life. Why? Why holiness? And I've got them listed for you there on your outline. And there's no blanks. That means you can read them. So let's, rather than me read them, would you read the first Two, aloud, together. Why holiness, Peter? Number one, because we are called. What? Father's And number two? Yeah. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially. It's been a while since we've taught around here about the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ, the Judgment Seat of Christ. Sometimes it's called the Heavenly Awards Banquet, and it's coming. And we're going to teach on it in May because I realize it's just been a while, and there's going to come a day where Jesus Christ will give out individual awards for holy and righteous living. Did you know that? We'll stand before Him, it says. And He's going to get, I don't know if there's going to be like the most valuable player, most improved, you know. Best guy in 2009, best lady in 2000. I don't know. But it's coming. And Peter says, you need some incentive for living a holy life? Think about that day when you stand before Jesus. You're going to want to hear some things. You're going to want to receive some things on that day. How about the next three? Would you read those aloud together? Because we are pilgrims living as temporary residents here. Because we have been redeemed. Liberated from captivity, purchased out of slavery, because the old way of life was empty. It says, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. You know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. It was empty, wasn't it? Do you remember the old life? Peter uses the word empty. It's pointless, futile. It wasn't really that great, was it? The B.C. life before Christ? I mean, at the time, maybe you thought it was great. But looking back, was it really that good? The words of the old song, Roll back the curtain of memory now and then. Show me where you brought me from and where I could have been. It was empty. Peter's saying, you've been redeemed from the old life. How about the next two? Let's read these aloud together. Because redemption frees and empowers believers to finally break the chains of generational sins and because the cost of our redemption was too great to treat lightly. 
the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. Some of you today, you struggle with stuff. It clings to you. It got handed down to you from your parents and your grandparents. Some people call these generational sins. You know what I'm talking about? And you find yourself struggling with things. And sometimes you wonder why. That's why we do encounters around here every so often. We have 30 plus ladies on an encounter right now. These are weekends designed to, to set us free and allow us to claim that freedom that we have through redemption in Jesus Christ. Peter's saying, look, you don't have to perpetuate the cycle. It can stop with you. You don't have to pass it down to your kids. Because of redemption through Christ, if you truly embrace it. It reminds us how costly redemption was. The blood of Christ. I'll just read the last one. Why holiness? Because the entire scope of redemption, the whole plan, was designed to enable us to put our hope in the eternal God instead of temporary pleasures. He was chosen before the creation of the world, Peter writes, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Him you believe in God who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Redeemed. Maybe you're saying, what does that mean? Redemption, redeemed. What is that? Well, this is one of the most fascinating word pictures in all the Bible. It actually means it refers to the ancient practice of purchasing freedom for someone who had been a slave. Purchasing their freedom. In the Old Testament, someone who sold themselves into slavery, and that happened a lot, could retain the right of redemption, which meant that at some point in time, maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, a friend or a relative who was wealthy, who had silver and gold, could come and actually buy them out of slavery pay a price, a ransom price that would free them, purchase their freedom. They would be free from that moment on. The New Testament takes that concept of redemption and uses it as a word picture for one of the most beautiful facets of salvation. Because you see, as Jesus said, whoever sins is a slave to sin. And every one of us was born into this world enslaved to the master sin. But Jesus came along and out of love said, I will pay their redemption price at the cost of my own blood. I will give my life to purchase their freedom, spiritual freedom. Silver and gold can purchase physical freedom, but only the blood of Christ can purchase spiritual freedom from slavery to sin. And he did it. That's why it's called precious. The precious blood of Christ. I hope you never laugh or joke about the blood of Christ. It cost him so much. And Peter's saying, why in the world as believers would you go back and tie yourself back up to that post? Why would you go back to the old life, to slavery, to sin? Jesus set you free from all that. You've been redeemed. Now live in that redemption. Live a holy life. says he was a lamb without blemish or defect. You Old Testament people, any Old Testament people here love the Old Testament? You know that that's a reference back to the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, which served as a continual object lesson to the Jewish people that sin must be paid for by the shedding of innocent blood. 
Imagine a little Jewish boy or girl being tucked into bed at night by their Jewish father and looking up at their dad and saying, Daddy, why? Why do we have to take these the best animals in our flock and take them and slit their throat and spill their blood and sacrifice them? Why do we have to do that again and again and again, Daddy? And that Jewish father would look down at his son or daughter and say, because Yahweh is holy. Yahweh is holy. And he requires that our sins be covered, be paid for by the shedding of innocent blood. But he would say, son, daughter, honey, a day is coming when the ultimate Lamb of God will come. And He will shed His pure, innocent blood and that will pay for all of our sins. And after that, there will not be a need for sacrifices to be made. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, came to take away the sin of the world. Amen? A Lamb without blemish or defect, no marks on His record, no failure to pay His taxes, perfect, spotless, sinless, supremely qualified to be our Savior. The Lamb of God. Peter says, just as He who called you is holy, be holy. Think holy thoughts. Live a holy lifestyle. Conduct your life in a way that reflects the character of your God and doesn't bring you back into bondage to the old life. Then, he talks about relationships. Call it holy loving. He says, know this, holy living includes holy loving. It includes how you treat people, how you relate to people. That's a big part of holiness. Read verse 22, just verse 22 aloud with me. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, Love one another deeply from the heart. Just, no, stop there. i got something to say. <laughs> How many times do you see the word love in there? Two times. What do you think I'm going to say about those two different words, both translated love? They're different words in the original. First one is phileo. Remember we talked about this a few weeks ago. Brotherly love. Really, it's actually the word in Greek, Philadelphia. He said, you know, you have sincere phileo for your brothers. You have sincere brotherly and sisterly love. That's great. But don't stop there. Go deeper. I'm calling you to agape love. That's the second word, love. Agape one another deeply from the heart. The word deeply literally means stretched out or over over the top. He's saying, I'm calling you to a holy life that issues forth in holy relationships characterized by over-the-top, stretched-out, agape love. A few weeks back, after a celebration, I was talking with a couple right over in this area, and uh, they had just been prayed for by a group of New Lifers who gathered around and prayed for them, and they were weeping and um, going through some difficult times financially and so forth. And right after they were prayed for, one of the people who prayed for them handed them a thousand bucks. And I was talking with them and they're like, what would possess someone who we hardly even know to just express that kind of over-the-top, stretched-out, agape kind of love to us? They were just flabbergasted. 
think Peter tells us why. What would possess someone to love like that? He gives us four reasons. And basically, you could sum them all up in saying, by saying we should go deeper in love with one another because of what we share in common. We have a lot in common, we who know Christ. And he starts talking about y'all. Now, I lived in Virginia for seven years, and down there everybody says y'all, you know? And he's like, let me tell you some things about y'all. Believers, all you believers share in the reality of being forgiven. You've all been forgiven. Y'all have? Since you've been purified, he says. Then he says, not only that, y'all share a spiritual family bond. You're in the same family. He calls them, calls them brothers. Not only that, y'all have been born again. (laughs) Y'all share a born-again experience, he says. And, he says, you share a common source of new life, the Word of God. Y'all have been born again through the Word of God. So he says, you have a lot in common. So love one another deeply. Now, we tend to focus on the differences a lot, don't we? what makes us different from each other. But Peter's saying, come on now. Remember what you have in common. Focus on that. But he knows how we are at times. And he mentions several agape killers, attitudes that kill love. And he tells us to be rid of them. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, since God's called you to holy loving and you share all these things in common, Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Let me walk through those words so we're clear on what they mean. Malice. What's malice? Ill will. Viciousness, which is bent on doing harm to other people. Peter says, get rid of it. It kills agape love. Deceit. What's that? Treachery. Disloyalty. Guile. Trickery, betrayal. He says, you know, when you deceive each other, it just kills love. I heard something this week that was very convicting. A teacher said, are you 100% honest with your spouse? 100%. About your finances? About what you're doing when you're apart? Are you 100% honest? You see, deception kills love, as does hypocrisy. The next word, that's Pretending, posing, mask wearing. Literally, the word means it was used of stage actors who wore masks to conceal their true identity. It's talking about hiding things from each other. Envy refers to displeasure over another's good fortune. It's when you just can't rejoice that someone else is being promoted or recognized. It just, your insides just tighten up. You say, I can't stand it that that person's getting all that applause. And slander, of course, is tearing other people down behind their back, ruining their reputation in the eyes of others, gossiping about them. And Peter says, get rid of these things. They kill love. If the Word of God is that seed sown in your heart that sprouts into love and life, then these things are the weeds that choke out love. He says, pull them out. Get them out of your life, get them out of your heart, and get them out of your church. Love one another deeply. So we're called to holiness, holy thinking, holy lifestyle, holy loving. 
I love how Peter finishes off this section in this call to holiness. Let's read verse 2 and 3 aloud together. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's call this holy intake or holy food, spiritual food. All right, I want to see if you're still with me. I'm giving you a lot today, huh? What's the command in this verse? Crave pure spiritual milk. Feed on God's Word, he's saying. That's the command. Feed on the Word of God. What's the example he uses? Babies, newborn infants. It's feeding time. Some of you are right there these days. Babies at feeding time. What's the purpose? So that by it you may... Grow up in your salvation. Listen, spiritual growth. You cannot grow spiritually apart from feeding on the Word of God. Did you know that? You can't. And what's the motivation? Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Prior experience of the goodness of God. You know what? Once you've tasted God, you'll want more. You believe that? Once you've really tasted the Lord, you want more of God. And no one can taste for you. You know, you'll hear someone t- bragging about a restaurant, you know. Oh, you, you know, I went to so-and-so place and their steak. Oh, my gracious. Or their salad or their lasagna. And what do they say next? You got to go. Why? Because no one can taste for you. Taste is a personal experience thing, isn't it? You have to taste for yourself. You have to find out for yourself that God is good. And I'll tell you what, God is good. (laughs) If you've ever tasted the Lord, if you've ever had personal experience with God, you'll know He's good. If you and I are going to grow spiritually, meaning growing in holiness, then we must examine our diet, our nourishment, our intake. It matters. So what are you feeding on these days? What are you filling your mind with? What appetite are you stimulating? What are you putting into your system? What's your intake? Remember the old computer axiom? Garbage in, garbage out. It's true our spiritual lives as well, isn't it? Peter is challenging his readers. Cultivate an appetite for the Word of God. Like an infant at feeding time. Cultivate cravings for the Word. Read it. Hear it. Study it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Take it in. And there's lots of different kinds of food in here. Milk. You just talked about milk, right? Crave the milk of the Word. There's milk in here. That's easily digestible. Basic elementary truths about God and Christianity that just about anybody could digest. Even brand new Christians who just got saved. That's the milk of the word. But there's also meat in here, isn't there? In fact, a lot of First Peter is meat. The meatier truths of God's word. It takes some maturity to be, able, to be able to digest those truths. Sometimes newborn Christians choke on meat. There's a lot of meat in here. There's bread. And thank God there's honey. Sweet. Like what Kent read earlier. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's sweet. That's honey. Peter's saying, develop an appetite for all of it. Ingest the Word of God. You say, memorize it? Yeah. Where should I start? Right here, 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Great little verse. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. You say, where should I read? Well, if you don't have a plan, use our church-wide Bible reading plan. It's right on the back of your outline every week or on your bulletin. Feed on the Word of God. And here's something I've discovered. Kind of a contrast between physical hunger and spiritual hunger. When we eat physical food, we become satisfied, right? We're full. Ah, oh, that was good. But when we eat spiritual food, we become hungrier. It stimulates the hunger pangs spiritually. When we go without physical food, we become hungry. But when we go without spiritual food, we become satisfied. The hunger pangs go away. That's why you can wake up one morning and realize, I read my Bible in three weeks or three months. Because you haven't been stimulating those spiritual hunger pangs. The more you eat, the hungrier you become spiritually. You stimulate your spiritual appetite by eating, feeding, not by going without. So, holiness. Holy thinking, holy living, holy loving, holy feeding. Peter writes these suffering believers in the first century and 21st century followers of Jesus and says, look, think differently, live differently, love differently, feed differently, discipline your mind, change your life, deepen your love, and improve your diet. Change your intake. Just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. Devoted to God, different from the world. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? I know I gave you a lot today. But I want us to take some time and respond to the Word of God. And I just have a single question for you. What is holding you back from full devotion to Jesus Christ? I mean, let's not even talk about being willing to die for Jesus. Let's just talk about being willing to live for Him. What's holding you back from being consumed with Jesus? What's holding you back from full, complete devotion to Jesus? What is it? Some of you say, well, it's my thinking. It's my my unholy thought life. That's what's holding me back. I, you're talking about holiness. I feel convicted about my unholy thought life. All those loose, flowing thoughts that I allow into my mind. Others would say, you know, it is my lifestyle. It's the habits and choices, things I do, places I go, how I choose to entertain myself. Truth about me is I'm not really that much different from people all around me in the world. I feel convicted about my unholy lifestyle. Maybe you'd say, no, it's, it's for me, it's relationships. It's that loving part. There's unholiness in my relationships, lack of love. Some of those things Peter mentioned, malice, deceitfulness, pretending, envy, tearing people down. Maybe it's sexual sin in your relationships and it's holding you back 
Maybe today you feel the Spirit's conviction about how you've treated people, how you relate to people. I'm sure that some of you would say, for me, it's my intake. It's what I'm feeding my mind. I'm feeding on the wrong things. I'm not feeding enough on the right things. And I feel convicted about that. It's holding me back from full devotion to Christ. I know it is. Or maybe it's something else. Something that God wants you to lay aside so that you might be fully devoted to Jesus. All around the room, would you raise your hand if you would say today, there's something holding me back in my life from full devotion to Jesus Christ. And I feel convicted about it. I need to lay it aside. Many hands. You can put your hands down. If you're serious about that, I'm going to ask you to do something today that would symbolize you allowing the Spirit of God to convict you and to give you the strength to lay it aside. I'm going to ask you, like I've asked the last couple of services to come up, get out of your seat, come to one of these cross stations on either side of me. There's some three by five cards and little pencils, and I'm going to ask you to write on there what it is. What is it that's holding you back from full devotion to Jesus? And by writing that out on that card and laying it next to one of the crosses, you're you're symbolically saying, Spirit of the living God, give me your strength and grace to lay this aside because I want to be wholly devoted to Jesus Christ. Give me the strength to do that. It's not a promise to be perfect. You can never be perfect. But it's a response to the work of the Spirit in your life right now. As we worship these next few moments, respond to what the Spirit is saying to you.